Welcome to Podcast for Leaderful Schools, coming to you almost live from Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan, actually from Pauley Hall on the campus of Oakland University, and to even be more specific from the Galileo Institute. This is uh, Bob Maxfield, and my co-host is, of course, with me, the wonderful Dr. Suzanne Klein. Hi, Sue, how are you? I'm doing great, Bob. I'm looking out the window and seeing blue skies, a little bit of clouds, so the world is alive, uh, even though it's covered with snow here in Michigan. And it's about 10 degrees. So other than that, it's just oh, yeah. <laughs> we're, in, we're in good shape. Well, our guest today, and this is a, this is a continuation of a series that's been going on uh, almost for the last year during this, these COVID times, and that's a series of conversations with influential people talking about how schooling has been affected by the pandemic, uh, how we're coping with it, and how we hope to be coming out of it. And so um, today's guest is, is gonna bring a nice, a really important insight. And our guest indeed is Dr. Bill Pearson, who is the Director of Partnership Districts and School Reform in the Michigan Department of Education. Michigan Department of Education is the state's administrative office that supervises education across the state. So Bill, welcome, we're delighted you could be with us. Why don't we Thank begin? You, why, don't, why don't we begin by just giving you a chance to uh, help our listeners know a little bit more about your professional background. Sue and I know it because we've worked with you on and off for many years. Uh, and then what led you to the, your current position at the Michigan Department of Ed? Well, I come from a family of educators and decided my sophomore year in college that I wanted to be an educator also. So I went uh, attained my degree. I have taught second through eighth grade when I was a teacher. And I also taught a semester of adult ed alternative ed. So I could say I had some experience in high school. And then uh, building experience in a middle school and an elementary school. I knew I wanted to be a superintendent. So I made sure I had a broad uh, array of teaching experience and administrative experience. And I was assistant superintendent in South Lyon for instruction and then superintendent there for 20 years. Uh, then I left South Lyon, actually retired, but then still kept on being a superintendent. And best move I ever made was to accept a position in Mount Clemens in Macomb County for two years uh, where I was able to work with a high poverty district and we made some uh, good turnaround efforts. And then I was a superintendent in St. John's for a little bit. Then I worked for Munetrix, which is a data analytics company. Some of you are probably aware of. Uh, that was for a few months. And then I ran into Sheila Ellis, who was the interim state superintendent. And I said, you know, Sheila, I knew her from way back. We were teachers in Plymouth. And I said, how can I help MDE, is there any way, anything I can do to help out high poverty districts, uh, maybe bring in metrics? And she said, Bill, I've got a job for you. So that's how I ended up where I am now, Director of Partnership Districts for MDE. And uh, at the time when I was hired in December of 2018, I was the school reform officer. There's only one in the state. And that uh, subsequently has uh, been removed. Uh, legislature removed that uh, position. And so I remain the director of partnership districts. And we currently are working with 26 districts around the state and 98 schools. Well, that's a perfect uh, intro to where I wanted to go next, which is to talk a little bit about that. Uh, so what is what really is a partnership district? How does one get to be a partnership district? And then uh, uh, and what's involved in, in that role? What kind of help is available from the state? Yeah, partnership districts are identified um, 
they were uh, in, in 2017 and 2018, uh, Dr. Winston, uh, the previous state superintendent, um, decided that instead of trying to close schools, a new concept called partnership districts would be formed where MDE would work with a district that had schools in or school in the bottom 5% um, as they were leaving the priority school status. Some of you remember that. Uh, and so we, they began to have index scores. That's a zero to a hundred uh, points that you uh, would attain. And schools were uh, identified based on um, you know, the growth and proficiency uh, rates, which are 63% of the index score, 10% on um, English learner progress, 10% on graduation rate, and 14% on school quality and student success, which is your data on chronic absenteeism. Do you have K-8 access to media specialists, K-8 access to arts and PE, and how many advanced uh, course advanced classes do you have for uh, students um, in high school and then uh, how many students are enrolled in secondary uh, someplace post-secondary um, enrollment in some type of university or some type of uh, college so all those percentages and numbers are put in the bottom five percent of the schools then uh, become CSI comprehensive support and improvement and you're labeled CSI, and then you qualify to become um, a partnership school in a partnership district. That includes PSAs. So there's 830-ish districts in the state of Michigan at the current time. And we have 26 districts with a partnership agreement and 98 schools. And the agreements are supposed to be three years in length. And when you write a partnership agreement with a district that might have one or two or three, if it's a traditional district, might have one, two or three schools of CSI status or a PSA, just a building on it in itself. So when you write the agreement, you write benchmarks that you want to attain uh, in 18 months because it's a three-year agreement. So halfway through are your benchmarks that you want to attain. And then you have three-year goals that you want to meet. Now, there are goals that are based on proficiency or growth and benchmarks. And then there are goals that are based on, you know, how you want, what percent you want to, you know, decrease the number of kids in, you know, chronic, chronically absent, for example. Or um, what systems do you need to put in place in your districts? What type of school improvement planning needs to be put in place to help a district become better equipped to, meet the needs of students and get out of the bottom 5% based on the data that I uh, previously just explained. So it's three year progress, three years to get out of that bottom 5%. Now, unfortunately with COVID that came in a couple of years ago, US Ed gave us uh, two years of accountability waivers, which extended the partnership agreements to four or five years, depending upon if they start in 2017 or 2018. This spring, now we're going to have, everybody believes there won't be any more waivers and every, the students are going to um, be assessed in MSTEP and SAT. So we will identify new schools this fall for round four. Now, you... 
like I said, you get out based on your index score and there will be some schools and um, districts that will be re-identified and we're putting a new system in place, hopefully that will work with those more intensely. And then we'll have new schools and new districts that will be able to work with, with a new three-year partnership agreement. So in addition to helping them develop a set of plans and metrics to move out of that category. What specific help is the state able to provide to those districts? Is there additional funding or the additional outside resource people? Yes, uh, specific. First of all, we have a liaison that we assign to that district that works out of my office, the Office of Partnership Districts through MDE. And that liaison will work closely with the district, work on systems that they need to put in place, work on interpreting data, um, you know, uh, changing uh, systems for providing technical assistance. And then the state and their uh, budget has awarded Office of Partnership District $6 million each year to disseminate to districts based on their needs and what they think, uh, how they think they can use the money. And then we approve and disperse the money to the districts that we're working with. So there's, there's money involved. So we've had, uh, you know, we had, one year there were seven million, but basically it's six million a year that we disseminate to districts, and we have a liaison that works specifically with them. And then there are other offices within the Michigan Department of Education that we can also work with and dovetail into um, making the partnership district meet its goals at the end of three years. And then we evaluate them at the end of three years from our end, from the Office of Partnership Districts, along with the assessments that are put in place to determine the bottom 5% based on the index score. Thank you for that. It's been interesting, Bill, to hear about the systems, the data, the planning process that the state, through this partnership work, is putting in place um, with uh, the local districts and, again, tailored to their needs. Tied to that is a very important factor, which is once those systems and plans and data are in place, who's going to be in the classrooms to teach those children? And how are they going to support the teaching, learning, professional development? So let's zero in on that for a moment. Um, for our listeners uh, who might not be residing in the state of Michigan, back in November of 2021, our state superintendent, Dr. Michael Rice, sent a letter to certain members of the state legislature. And in that letter, he outlined the kind of opportunities to support educators respond to what in Michigan has become uh, quite an, uh, an impactful teacher shortage. And then back to the partnership idea and as well help improve learning. Governor Whitmer suggested uh, in her state of the state and budget messages that there be attention paid to that. So let's delve into a few of the issues that take us back to those classrooms in the teaching and learning. Districts across this state, as in many states, uh, are dealing with the number of educators leaving the profession and a shortage of qualified uh, and in uh, many cases experienced candidates to fill their places. When you think about the, the work that the MDE is doing and the recommendations they're making, how is it proposed that this shortage of educators be addressed? There are some very good components in the governor's budget that was presented last week that will help in these areas. And I know Dr. Rice worked 
diligently with the governor's office and with legislators uh, trying to put a you know plan together that would help not only retain teachers but get uh, what I call high school seniors and college freshmen to enter the educational field. The last ten years, there was uh, there start there started to be a vast drop in the number of students that wanted to be become teachers, and uh, you know we need a lot of different reasons and um, we need more students that want to choose to be an educator and so um, the governor's budget includes some retention bonuses for uh, teachers to um, be continue to work in the district that they're working in you know when i talk about partnership districts and 26 districts we work with we have a tremendous number of buildings where there are uncertified staff in front of students and a, a definite shortage in specific areas. And uh, this would really help retain teachers to maintain their place in the district they're currently working in. It's $2,000 a year each of the next two years. And then I believe the recommendation goes to 3,000 for 2024 and then 4,000 in 2025. I, that will go a long way with uh, retaining teachers. And I think administrators do get, uh, would get paid the first two years of um, the plan. So they would get the $2,000 a year, 2023 and 2024. So there's a plan there to um, bonuses. It wouldn't be dollars that are you know, go into the you know the trend in individual districts, but it would be bonuses to keep teachers where they are. So then there's the plan to create um, Michigan uh, educator fellowships, where, as I understand it, student teachers of uh, their student teaching would get fifteen dollars an hour, which would go a long way to help out their costs of living because as you know, student teachers currently, you know, just student teach and they're not getting paid. And they're gonna offer $10,000 um, uh, to help out future educators that are going to school. If they provide two years of service for each year, they would receive the $10,000 to continue to uh, be, go through the educational programs and come out and be a teacher in uh, some place in our state. So in, it, I believe that the entire state understands now. Um, so, you know, legislators, you know, superintendents certainly do. I think parents understand that. Now the shortage, not only with teachers, because I've always say when there's a shortage of teachers, there's a shortage of principals, and there's a shortage of superintendents. Absolutely. But, you know, bus drivers and paraprofessionals, have, there's a shortage everywhere. And um, we can't produce what, you know, the type of environment for educational purposes that we want to have in this state if we don't put some money to help out people that want to continue or to be an educator and then student teaching in the classroom. So there, there's a lot of money that is um, proposed to the legislature 
to provide future teachers, dollars for future teachers, and to retain staff. So the goal is to produce 10,000 plus more educators each year with this um, particular recommended budget from the governor. And from our perspective at the university, uh, uh, we've seen, and I think every university in the state, except possibly Michigan State, has seen a, a significant decrease in the number of people enrolling in their teacher education programs. Yeah. And so this, and that's been a almost decade long trend. And so uh, this is certainly gonna help reverse that. And I appreciate Bill, as you're describing the recommendation that the MDE and the governor are putting in front of the legislatures for consideration. You're, you're recognizing the fact that this is not just a, a preparation issue, but people need to be recruited into the field so that they can be well-prepared and then retained as they walk into those school districts across the state. And that whole notion that there is the pipeline that you talked about that goes beyond that in terms of school leadership is a key. Um, do you have any recommendations for school districts that have high school freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors who are starting to look around and say, what do I wanna be? Or who do I wanna become that, that you could offer our listeners? Well, I think that uh, high schools, um, you know, districts uh, need to, you know, form groups. You know, you know, we have groups for lots of different um, uh, kids in school to just, you know, we, we, we used to have some of those. And I think we need to mm -hmm. go back to that, you know, future teachers, future educators, and then talk to them about what you can get if this, the governor's recommendations and budget are accepted, there's money out there to entice high school seniors and college freshmen trying to figure out what they wanna to do to go in, in uh, the educational field. And once I think that those, um, the word gets out and the data gets out, students understand that you, know, you, you can get some money for student teaching, you can get some dollars to help out pay the uh, cost of education, which is, you know, um, you know, pretty costly. I think more people will go into the teaching field and they'll, you know, we're, we'll get back some of the respect that maybe was lost over the last, I don't know how many years that, you know, now the you know, legislature, the state is recognizing the deficit in, you know, where we are in terms of uh, the number of educators. Now we want to do something about it. Now we're willing to help you out. And, um, you know, it's certainly more money going into the per pupil amount each year. The last year, you know, set a record. This year, there's a, the governor's recommendations, $435 per student increase, which would be get the base amount to $9,135. You know, that's a significant increase also. Telling people, telling the state, telling, you know, future educators, you know, you need to be an educator and um, we're putting our money where our mouth is. You're Besides, the, the governor's also saying the um, $1 billion in school construction, you know, to have uh, school infrastructure grants available to districts. Um, you know, I go into a lot of high poverty areas and there are just you know, schools that just don't have what other school districts have and what other school, you know, school systems have for students to be able to have the opportunity to have the CTE programs and so forth. So, you know, there's some really good things in the, in the budget, proposed budget. 
And Bill, that gives us a chance to round out this part of the conversation with the notion with additional funding and with the opportunities to prepare, recruit to the field and then retain teachers. What about this notion of learning, teaching and learning in the classroom? It's been disrupted in a variety of ways over the last few years. How might this be addressed? If you had the wand or the, the decisions and recommendations that you could put out there, what would what would there uh, be that you would make sure that would be happening? Well, I, I would promote more acceleration and not remediation. And we know there's been learning loss. You know, there's a lot of studies that have indicated that foregone learning because of the pandemic. But I think we need to take you know, work with the kids and the grade level they are, look at the course you know, content, the standards that are in front of them and teach those standards and accelerate the students as much as possible without really reverting back to a lot of remediation. And that's one way, if I was a principal or if I was the superintendent of a district, I would push the acceleration versus the remediation aspect. Uh, and you know, I think there's there's some value to maybe having some remote learning for some kids. I think my personal opinion is students and, and children need to be in front of the teacher face-to-face -face where they can um, work more closely with the professional um, and uh, the needs can be met of the individual students um, wherever they are, whatever place they come from. Uh, we'll get back to the face-to-face -face and hopefully that will uh, promote and accelerate a proficiency and growth scores. I think the other thing that th you two talked about a moment ago that will certainly help address the learning problems, and I know your partnership districts are vivid examples of these, is a simple, we talked about a foundation allowance going up dramatically. I mean, making additional funds available to school districts to provide uh, uh, specialized uh, interventions where needed and the kind of accelerated experiences that you're talking about. So it, when you put all of these pieces together, the, the support for current teachers, the funds to increase or to uh, encourage folks to pursue teaching, and then just additional resources for those folks who are in the classroom. I, it looks like we're, we're on the right track to come out of this thing. Yes, it, it does. I, I, I'm very hopeful where we're going to end up next year. You know, hopefully there's no, there's no new variant and we can move forward with uh, the traditional educational uh, teaching that we've had in the past. Well, let's, as we get near the end of our time, I'm going to ask you to put your superintendent hat back on. Uh, and, and the audience for this question really is, uh, we have a network of first-year superintendents that we're working with. We have a, a bunch of our grad students who are considering becoming superintendents. Uh, and so what, what's the Bill Pearson advice for these folks? What are some things you would hope they would just not, that they would always keep in mind and would never forget? I would say always when you're making decisions, what's good for kids, what's good for your district, not necessarily what's good for specific adults or adults. You always keep the kids in mind when decisions are made, whether you're a building principal or whether you're in a center office, specifically um, when you're a superintendent. 
um, you know, I had some good advice uh, from someone when I was just starting out to be an administrator. And, you know, she said, she taught me, people always respect or they'll cooperate with those they respect. So, you know, I've been thinking about that over the decades. And, you know, I've always tried to, A, never lie to people. You can't fool people. You can't fool kids. You can't fool adults. You can't fool the public. I'm speaking as a superintendent now. So you never lie to them. You don't give hope when there's an aspect or a topic that there's no hope for. So you don't tell people, yeah, well, maybe when there is no hope that it's going to occur. Um, so you, you, know, you tell them straight on uh, and be visible. All of the people, districts, community want to see. Uh, if you're a principal, visible in the classrooms. Um, just keep you know, working, talking with everyone. But, um, you know, I, I, my, my basic uh, premise is never lie and to uh, do what's best for kids. I know it's easy to say, but when you're in that predicament sometimes and you have to make a decision, always keep that in mind. That's, that's excellent advice. And the, uh, the new folks would be well well suited to take that on. So Sue, what have we, uh, from your perspective, have, you missed, have we missed something that we should have addressed? I'm like a bill, final word, to, say, to talk, talk about anything he thinks we've, we should have talked about. Go ahead, Sue. I'll ask one more, Bill, and it's tied to your last um, conversation with Bob about what you have as advice for superintendents and people that are in former leadership roles. I'm curious to take that to a little bit finer point. What about teacher leaders? They're the ones that we are working hard to prepare, recruit, and retain. What advice might you have for them? I'm guessing it might be in some of the same categories, but there might be something particular for teacher leaders that you would want to make sure those who are listening get, get the advantage of your wisdom on. Um, for teacher leaders, uh, you know, learn how to over the over a few, you learn how to get along with people, how to listen to people. It does, when, when you listen to people, it doesn't mean you're always going to agree, but you have to listen to what people are saying and people have to perceive that you are an open uh, individual who um, will take what your colleagues are telling you. You know, teacher leaders, when you say teacher leaders, I always envision somebody who maybe has an aspiration to be an administrator, or wants to continue to be a teacher, but wants to excel in their particular area, whether that be you know, literacy or whether that be head of the math department. Um, you, know, you have to be well-versed in um, you know, what's out there in terms of research. Uh, you should probably you know, get some periodicals, uh, you know, stay attuned to uh, research. Um, you know, we get better. I've been around, you know, 48 years now in education and you know, we've done, we do a much better job than we, we did teaching kids, assessing kids and figuring out what's good for kids in the classroom than we did when I started in 1974. So we're on a pretty good track. I mean, it takes decades. We have school improvement planning that was never there when I started. Uh, we look at different points of a you know, particular school and, and classrooms, how can we improve? And I think we, you know, leaders have to continue to meld all that into 
their daily activities as they work with individuals. Thank you. That's all good. That's all good advice. And I think they, you know, that I think you know, we leadership is leadership. And I think all of those qualities you've talked about apply across the board. So you know, we've been privileged to, to just have this conversation today with Dr. Bill Pearson. Bill is one of the, the real giants in the field and he's had made his impact in the local district and at the regional and of course now at the state level. So Bill, any final words for our listeners as we, as we conclude this conclusion or conclude this conversation? Yep, do what's right for kids. Have enjoy what you're doing, and uh, you know, take every day one at a time. Be positive. And with that, that's good. That's good word. That's, those are good words for all of us. So, to our listeners, thank you for being part of this installment of podcast for Leaderful Schools. As always, almost live from Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. <laughs>